Welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I'm Neil Blackman. On today's show, we will discuss Florida's 76-62 loss at Hinkle Fieldhouse to the Butler Bulldogs, what it means, uh, what went wrong, kind of take some inventory of of the basketball program, 30% of the way through uh, Mike White's fifth season. I will also drop some insider heat on Mike White's future, kind of where the program stands from what we know. Um, And we'll talk about, you know, what can improve, uh, particularly offensively and and why there were, there were some cause for optimism, at least in the second half on rewatch. So hope you enjoy the show. Uh, Make sure you, Go over to to iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, give us a rating, give us some feedback, tell your friends, um, and, you know, thanks for supporting this basketball program. Uh, I think there are better days ahead, one way or another. Thanks, everybody. Welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South. I'm joined by Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. Eric does a, uh, any new listeners that are joining us, Eric does an incredible job uh, covering this basketball program, um, writing really detailed articles uh, from, from analytics to personal profiles. I really enjoyed the one that putting Eric on the spot here on uh, Samson Rusensev that, that was up last week. Uh, so I don't know, go to Gator country, check out his work. Um, but we're happy to have him today. Although, uh, kind of another unhappy performance, Eric. Yeah, it was still happy to be talking about it. Uh, thank you for the nice intro, but, uh, a really tough game. I think that it would have been, uh, this was really like one of those kind of swing games where Florida won on the road, a really tough road environment, good Butler team. Uh, it doesn't erase the losses earlier in the season, but uh, I, I think it like kind of like it does to an extent. You know, it really would uh, uh, would kind of like wash away some of the poor, more poor poor performances early and and kind of set things off on the right track. But uh, it's also one that yeah, you lose and suddenly it's like man, you've you've lost more than you've won when you played good teams. Uh, you haven't played particularly well in in some of these uh, slight victories over mid major teams. And uh, that's what's uh, what's leading a, a generally uh, unhappy fan base for sure, and I, I'm sure a very unhappy team. So uh, definitely a rough game. Well, yeah, I mean, we're gonna talk about. I don't know what order it will be in. To be honest, everyone, um, it's one of these things where we wanted to talk about the game, and so we figured that the discussion of the game would drive the rest of the conversation on the podcast as well as the listener comments that we had on the Twitter account, which is at Florida BB hour. It's a great way to get a hold of us because we care about what you guys think. Um, and we want to discuss those things. So that's just a long winded way of, of me saying, you know, we're going to talk about the team mentality piece that I think needs to be talked about now. But I just thought, you know, you're playing in one of the greatest venues in college basketball. Um, for those that are wondering, I, I had the flu, so uh, Indy was out for me. Uh, don't feel too bad for me. I, I see a lot of basketball games. Um, and I had trip insurance. But uh, the Gators started the game with a couple baskets, played really good defense, I thought, for 15 minutes, Eric. And then 
they get the six point lead. And, uh, you know, I think this wasn't necessarily correlation is causation. And I tweeted it and didn't tweet it real cleanly. And Chris Harry called me on it. Um, but when Kerry Blackshear got a second foul was when the Butler run started. Now, Blackshear, I say not correlation causation this time because Blackshear didn't play very well in my mind. But what went right the first 15 minutes before we get into the, the last 25? Well, I mean, you look at the first buckets that Florida got, and I think you've got to look at the fact that they came in transition. It was a quick hit ahead, you know, Noah lock three, a quick ball screen. Uh, that was uh, they, they scored by getting early offense before Butler's defense could set up. Uh, I thought it was a, a pretty good Butler defense in the half court, and I saw that Florida scored early when they uh, were able to get early offense, but I know that that's not something that Florida's going to look for for 40 minutes. And uh, so there was part of me that was – you know, like I was obviously very happy that Florida's putting those points on the board, but I wasn't thinking, uh, hey, this is an indication that, that things are going to keep going. I, you even look at that first bucket of the game. It was a very, very risky pass from Noah Locke. I think it was Noah Locke down to Kerry yeah. Blackshear, who yeah. did catch it in traffic. And But I mean, that was like, man, if that's the way that we're going to try to enter the ball to Kerry Blackshear, this is going to be a tough, uh, tough game. So uh, even when Florida was uh, was scoring earlier, I, I, I didn't love a lot of like, I shouldn't say, I mean, they're half court. I wasn't loving. And when they were scoring an early offense, I was like, well, I just, Florida hasn't shown that they're committed to doing this all game. So uh, that'll be my way of saying, yeah, I think that they started by, by getting some early looks in, in transition. But uh, when, uh, when it turned into a bit more of a half court game, uh, I think that uh, that Butler's defense was able to dig in and play quite well. Yeah. Look, I thought Florida's defense dictated the game for 15 minutes. It's pretty much what I thought. I think, I'm with you a lot on a lot of what you're talking about offensively. Uh, that's the level that Florida has to defend at. Um, and culturally, under this coach, and I don't want to get into this part of the discussion yet, they have defended at a really high level his entire tenure, right? But I think what what needs to be asked is, it's another one of these games where you say, pretty good start, even with, their best offense coming patient late in the shot clock, I thought, uh, but also kind of a missed opportunity, Eric. We talked about it in the Florida State game when you defended that well in the first half, couldn't build a lead. Here, Kamar Baldwin, one of the best players in the country, on the bench with two fouls, Florida couldn't extend the lead beyond six. Yeah, those those were tough, and uh, I, it was there was kind of some some interesting. Uh, uh, things that Butler did offensively that made defending a little tougher. And I think that they really kind of figured Florida out. Uh, one thing that I thought was interesting is nowadays in modern basketball, you see so many high ball screens uh, where, you know, you try to get the guard going downhill uh, or you look for a pick and pop. Uh, but Butler had these pick and rolls where they'd start them at the wing, almost like the free throw line extended, like b- below the three point line. And then they would set a middle ball screen, uh, which almost, you know, has the guard going backwards. Uh, but it, and it just becomes really tough to defend just because it, as soon as the screen comes, as soon as the, uh, the screener turns, he's suddenly in a scoring position. And that's something Florida hasn't seen a lot of. And I thought that, uh, you know, Nemhart got caught on some screens. Uh, Kerry Blackshear, I thought, really struggled defending these actions, which is just very, you know, he's someone who is used to the high ball screen and he actually can move his feet pretty well for one or two slides either way. Uh, but he kind of got caught in no man's land playing the screen and roll defense that I just don't think Florida was prepared for. Uh, one other thing that got picked on was like, it was very clear that, so like 
Andrew Nemhart was guarding Aaron Thompson, and it was like very clear because he's he's a non-shooter. He's like I don't know if he said a three this year. I think he might have hit one, just total non-shooter. And it was uh, it was very clear that Andrew Nemhart was supposed to be playing free safety just underneath the hoop, uh, and Aaron he did well to back cut him and, and get some easy buckets. That's how their first two buckets of the game came. And yeah, him uh, and Trey, him and Trey man got, got blistered on back cuts a couple times. Yeah. Trey man got a real rough one in, later in the game. <laughs> I, I'm just not really sure that that was a tough scenario. He was, uh, I didn't think that was very well defended. I didn't think Trey man had, I, I thought he had some, some tough defensive possessions. Um, and then there was just some moments where like, like I, again, I thought Kerry Blackshear in screen and roll was was abused on some possessions. He got caught in the air a few times, uh, which was uh, really interesting for someone who's you know desperately trying not to foul. Uh, well, actually, here here's actually a fun uh, fun stat about Kerry Blackshear. So you know how Kerry Blackshear's picked up a lot of fouls this year. Um, he's only committed three shooting fouls this year. So think about all the fouls he's committed, and he's only committed three shooting fouls. So he's picking up fouls and a lot of ways, but, you know, getting up in the air on pump fakes isn't one of them. And luckily he right. didn't in those scenarios, but uh, yeah. So there was a, uh, there's definitely fact, a loss of focus. Yeah. In fact, there were, there were multiple Kamar Baldwin drives where I thought he did a really nice job of getting vertical and just bodying him up. And, you know, they forced some misses um, on some shots that, that Baldwin is usually pretty successful with, um, with Kerry Blackshear help. So like that kind of speaks to your point. Like it's, it's weird that – I guess what I'm saying is it seems like, Eric, those should be situations where he would pick up fouls. Like those are more high-stress situations, and he's not fouling in those. No, it's really not. And I, and I thought that was going to be the concern with Gary Blackshear. Um, but, I mean, man, he, <coughs> he, is, he is getting – like he does not get star calls. Like he, is no, he does not have the respect of officials. Like no. he, had, he, had, he had a couple offensive fouls, and this has been the running theme all year on these dribble handoffs where – like, and I know that's a bit of a, a point of emphasis, and I, I actually agree with, like, you know, overarching over college basketball, the way that they're, like, really cutting down on the dribble handoff hip check from the big man. Yeah. I mean, Kerry Blackshear doesn't do that, but he's been called on a whole lot of those. So it's it's just crazy. Like, I mean, he's like a, it's like in middle school where the one kid's six inches taller, and he's so, so the refs just show no sympathy on him and call him on fouls for everything. Yeah. I, I feel like that's just what happens to – uh, it's a black shirt because I I think he's just got a tough whistle all year by all kinds of refs. Yeah, I mean I, it's hard to argue with with. <laughs> it's kind of it's just kind of a hard point to argue. Um, you know, and I, look, it's weird because I think if you look, it's again, it's like if you look at Kerry's numbers on the season, it's one of these games where if you look at the box score, and you didn't watch the game at all, you'd probably say, okay, seventeen points you know, five rebounds, got to the line, was one of the only Florida players to really make free throws, uh, something that's got to get fixed. Uh, you know, he had the three turnovers, but, you know, I didn't think any of them – well, I guess one of them I thought was a bad turnover. But, uh, you know, you get what I'm saying. Like, not a bad box score, but, but I didn't think um, – I didn't think a very good – you know, performance from Kerry. Well, I, I, I do think once again, on the defensive end, I, I thought he wasn't very good. I thought he was uh, exposed in pick and roll coverage. And uh, that obviously really hurt because uh, uh, things were not going particularly well for Florida on the defensive. end. that was a, as poor of a defensive game as, as they've had. And that is against what is a really good, um, really good Butler offensive team. No question. 
but yeah, I was a little even surprised. I mean, I, I guess like a, a, a quiet amount of points for him. I thought he played worse. And uh, one thing I've got to note, I mean, uh, so I well, we have to talk fate. about we have to talk about the three point shooting that he. Yeah, that's what I was getting to. Yeah. So I okay. mean, uh, if so, so, people who are committed to the uh, the podcast, longtime listeners, will know that um, in the off season when Florida first got Blackshear, I, I was super pumped. I love his game, um, but I didn't believe in his three point shooting. Uh, just because he was a low attempt guy who didn't shoot a great percentage last year. So I, I was someone who was actually quite skeptical about him as a shooter. Um, so, but, but before I go on of like, well, I called that this was going to happen. Um, you know, I heard about, uh, I heard the reports from practice where he was the best shooter in winning shooting competitions. And uh, he lit it up in the, uh, uh, he lit it up in the scrimmage. So, so I did go from like, I was initially skeptical. Um, I, I was like, yeah, if he's really a shooter, like there's no way he takes less than two attempts like he did a game last year and, and only hit them at 33% because that's what he did at Virginia Tech. So I'm right. like, that's, that's, that's just not a shooter like in modern college basketball. So uh, I, I was skeptical, but then I'm like, man, everyone says he shoots the ball. His, his form looks pretty good. Um, and now you see that, yeah, he's shooting 26.1%. Uh, but I mean, if you take you know, he had that one good good shooting game uh, against Miami where he's three for four. But so, I mean, you erase that game and he's three for 19. So uh, there's just, yeah, like I, there were some key key possessions that ended up in his hands with a decent look at three and uh, it obviously didn't fall. And I mean, you've got to also think that, you know, for every time that he's on the perimeter looking for those three-point shots or, or looking for the pick and pops, uh, it's a possession where he's not down low, not on the block where, where I think he's a more efficient player. So uh, that'll be something interesting to see how uh, how White and his staff kind of views how they want to use Blackshear move, moving forward. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, look, um, and I think that's probably – I don't know. It, well, we still have a game to talk about. I don't want to transition too much into offense. But I, but I think we can. Like, look, I want to say first that Butler shot 52% from the field. Uh, they're a really efficient offense. They shot 45% from three, which they haven't done all year. Um, so they had a really good day shooting, and they're already a very efficient offensive team. I also thought uh, the one thing I don't think you mentioned was that Florida did try to create some ball pressure when Aaron Thompson wasn't handling, right, with double teams. And Butler was really good at reversing the ball um, and just kind of beating the defense with ball movement. Uh so I thought that also kind of negates what Florida wants to do in that 13 zone. Um, and I actually agreed with, I don't know, was it Raftery on the call? I think it was. And <laughs> I think he was like, you got to get out of that zone. And that's what I kept thinking. So like maybe stop there with defense, at least from that standpoint. Yeah. I, I was going to, I was going to ask you what your thought was in the, the one, three, one. And uh, I, I wasn't, I wasn't a big fan of it. Uh, the thing, the thing that I kind of look at is I so, like it generally, but I didn't like it yesterday. So the thing about Butler is Butler plays extremely slow. They play even slower than Florida. They are incredibly uh, efficient offensively. They score really well. Uh, they're they're very comfortable. They're they're really good. They, like their team is full of really good like feel guys. Like they just like see defenses and and make reads and and make the right call. So so their team that really likes to use the whole shot clock. They like to move the ball around. They're not phased by being slowed down. Also, if you look at their numbers from this year and you look at their numbers from last year, they exit, they executed really well against zone defenses. 
So the thing about the one, three, one is like Florida is not looking to trap out of it. Or, like they're not looking to get steals. They're not looking to heat teams up. They're looking to burn time off the clock. So I see a team like Butler where, you know, they're really comfortable playing late into the clock. They're really comfortable playing slow and Florida's trying to slow the game down. Uh, and Butler also happens to be a team that has executed really well against zone so far this season and so far the last season. So from like a scouting standpoint, like, I would look like if I if if it was like me doing some doing some analysis, doing some scouting and giving in my two cents, I'd say like, hey, this is a team very comfortable against zones and they're a team that's very comfortable playing slow. Yeah. So this zone that isn't meant to create turnovers, it's meant to slow the game down. Uh, I, right. I would not suggest that it would right. be effective. And that's kind of what happened. Yeah. And like, I get it. You know, they play slow, but they play deliberately. So I get trying it a little bit just because like the idea is you know, you want to extend the floor and you, if you extend the floor, then if they start a possession with an extended floor with 10 seconds left, right, Eric, then, you know, that's still something that speeds them up in a way that maybe even they're not comfortable for. But I agree with you, like pretty clearly a good zone team, uh, pretty clearly a good passing team just didn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. Um, And so, you know, Florida has other zones too. We saw some last year. Uh, you know, I don't know. You have to have a different option than a one three one if you're going to play Butler. I wouldn't have zoned them at all though, the way they were shooting. You know, and I thought Florida's best possessions, quite frankly, were man to man. Um, but when Florida got multiple stops to transition, uh, they really couldn't do much on offense because I really think two things. One is a larger, more systemic problem that I don't know what their offensive identity really is. Uh, yesterday, the old shot problem came back too, particularly in the second half when I thought they ran their best offense of the day. And I'm kind of interested on your thought on that. Like I thought Florida's ball movement second half, much better. I thought Florida's ability to penetrate and get cleaner looks second half, much better. Didn't make any shots. Yeah, on uh... – on second watch, uh, it, it definitely showed that I thought that actually Florida did play uh, better than better offensively than than people would have uh, than people kind of thought at least on Twitter. Um, and I know some people are gonna like hear that and just like be like, yeah, like be quiet, Eric. Like they were terrible. And, no, they're and, gonna and be mad. They're gonna be mad at us for that. But we also watched the game twice and coached. So yeah, and uh, you know, once again, I thought Florida got good looks um, on their catch and shoot jumpers. They had nine unguarded and seven guarded, so that's yep. like 56, 57 percent. That's pretty good. That's a number that I'm probably going to keep addressing this year oh, because I, I, I think it's an interesting one. Yeah. Can I interject? I'm sorry. It, can, do Trey Mann's off the bounce three pointers that I think are good shots for him? Because that's just the kind of player he is, and what? How many went in and out in the second half? Like at least two. Are those considered unguarded? Uh, well, those those numbers that I just pulled were only on catch and shoot possessions. Yeah. So, so, so uh, I think. Yeah. So it's probably. So yeah, him him probably more. Screen, yeah. yeah, in terms of unguarded, and I do think those are good shots. I mean, he had that one cross at the end of the game where I thought he could have shot it in rhythm a little better. I think he like surprised himself how badly he crossed the defender. Yeah, uh, and. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that those are, those are those are good looks. I mean, the one the one he came right into the game cold and, and put it up. I thought that was maybe like I, I didn't love that shot, but yeah, uh, I don't either. It, but if if anyone on the team is to to take it, I think I think it's him. But um, I think he's got that one whenever he wants in the shot clock. So I, I think getting his his feeling. But 
Um, you know, generally, I mean, we could talk about too, like uh, how Trey Mann came into the game, and I and I thought did did really well, and and had a couple uh, uh, generated a couple points by uh, uh, you know his one from you know obviously he had that one where he uh, got uh, got contested at the rim, got his own rebound, and put it in. I thought that that was a really good look that Florida had out of a zones or sorry a horns kind of set, and he had the Iverson yeah. cut and then attacked off of it. Uh, it was well defended, but he got his own rebound and, and put it up. And then he had uh, he pushed the ball in transition once, and it led to an open three. Uh, and then he had that other one where he dumped it off to Blackshear. So I thought he was really good in the first half, but um, at least offensively. Uh, defensively, he still had some tough moments. But uh, but yeah, I, going back to our original statement about Florida getting good shots in the in the second half, I uh, I, I did think they they actually got some some pretty good looks. And uh, what's crazy it is in you know in a game where it really looked like Florida was struggling offensively and not hitting shots. They still were at uh, 0.95 points per possession, uh, which right. will win you a lot of games when your defense is good. Like Florida has won a lot of games under Mike White, uh, scoring 0.95 points per possession. Uh, but, you know, they, they have to defend better. So, uh, but yeah, I, I will say I thought that Florida, uh, a lot out of the, uh, I think that their best offense in the, in the second half was like one of a few plays they have out of a horns look. And then uh, also just honestly, like once again, just like when Andrew Nemhart uh, gets ball screens and uh, goes to work. Yeah, no, I think that's true. Um, and look, uh, another thing that the Florida, so they don't hit many shots. Uh, they, their best offense in the first half came being patient, but at the same time, I thought they generated some of their second half looks in transition a little more. Um, you know, they didn't get the tap outs. Keontae Johnson was kind of a non-factor too, especially in the first half. He only had one field goal attempt. Um, you know, I think some of that, I should say some of that is Butler, Eric. Like one thing that impressed me about Butler that I did not realize is um, how many uh, – they're just longer this year. They can switch better. Yeah. And like, uh, like Kamar Baldwin is not super long, but just like really competes and is, and is physical. And Aaron Thompson's only like six, two, but he's, he was an incredible defender. I was right. Very, very impressed with his defense and he's pretty long at six, two. And, uh, but yeah, and then you look at their, their, you know, their small forward position, which really seems to be one of the, like, I don't know if I'm going to say this right. Kind of like the hinge point between whether a team is like long or not. And like, what I mean is if you've got like another guard there at six, four, six, five, oftentimes it doesn't matter how long your fours and five are. You kind of like don't have, you don't feel like a particularly long team. Uh, but yeah. if you've got someone there with like length, that just like really makes your team seem long. And that's something with Butler who had a six foot one and six foot two guard in their backcourt for most of the game. But they had like, six foot seven Tucker at the small forward and then not particularly big fours and fives. Uh, but just by having like a, a small forward with that kind of length, it, uh, it really kind of changed things and, and made it pretty difficult for Florida to, to run things at the times. Yeah. And I mean, Bryce Gooden, you know, is kind of overmatched, but uh, Bryce and not like, so, so you get those, the one thing Bryce and did is, is, uh, is boxes out really good. Right. And, and really helped them, kind of control the glass, which if you're going to shoot 23% from downtown, <laughs> you better, you better get some rebounds. You got to do a little better than Florida did yesterday. Yeah. I mean, one thing that Butler kind of did to keep Florida from offensive rebounding was 
really exposed Omar Payne defensively when he was on the floor and really exposed Dante Bassett when he was on the floor. So that just Good point. that just kind of kept Florida because I mean obviously Florida's best offensive rebounding lineup is going to be uh, yeah is obviously going to be one of those guys at the four. Yeah, um, Deontay Payne, right, 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 right. And uh, and yeah, and those guys just didn't stay on the floor because uh, they didn't defend well. And uh, what I, I will say in one defense of Florida, not offensive rebounding, was Florida shot really well from around the rim. They were like fifty, like for t- from two, they were fifteen for twenty two in this game, which is uh-huh. awesome. Like that's a really encouraging number for Florida. Uh, but most offensive rebounds come on two-point shots. I wrote about this in the offseason and was fascinated by the results because what you're going to hear <coughs> like 25% of broadcasts is some older announcer saying like, oh, you know, long shots equal long rebounds and they're going to get offensive rebound. And it, that's actually not true. And that's something that my data showed for Florida. <laughs> and it's also guys that have done more data um, nationally in the NBA as well as college basketball on a whole. Uh, it's actually not true that uh, two point like two point shots actually get offensive rebounded more than three point shot shots, which is like would surprise many people. Uh, so actually, Florida hits so many of their two point shot I, shots. I actually think that their offensive rebound opportunities were a lot less than normal. So I will yeah. say that in defense of Florida's offensive rebounding, uh, but at the same time, like you said, if you just miss that many three point shots, even though those aren't the shots that you're expected to offensive rebound more. Uh, you'd think that Florida, who offensive rebounds well and did have size, even though we did talk about this Butler team being long, Florida still did have the size advantage. And uh, yeah, yeah, the balls just didn't bounce their way. No, I mean, look, uh, yeah, and I didn't mean to. I, I'm just saying that I think Butler. There's a reason that they're nine and zero right now, um, mm-hmm. and and I think some of it is, you know, people are oh well, we should be way more athletic. Well, yeah, but it's not as big a disparity as you think. And they do play well in Hankel, as evidenced by the, what, 56-game non-conference home winning streak. Uh, that's pretty good. Um, so, you know, it's not like Florida – again, I think I think some of this is like Florida 6-3. and three, the, the larger, more systemic problems, Eric, are, one, they're 1-3 and three against good teams. And, you know, that's not where you want to be. And, two – you know they still they still struggle offensively and i don't know what the identity is like it seems like this team has not this staff made some adjustments and those adjustments haven't really worked yeah it's uh, it's interesting i was i was on a butler podcast uh, leading up to the game and you know one of the questions they asked me was uh what's florida's defensive identity and what's their offensive identity uh, so, you know, I started with the defensive identity and I thought I gave a, was, was hopefully a good answer. Uh, but it's a tougher question to ask offensively. Cause, uh, uh I think that they, uh, the people asking me the questions were, we're kind of ex- expecting it to be like, oh, well, did they like really play through Kerry Blackshear? It's like, well, uh, they have its stretches, but I wouldn't say, uh, entirely because they also like to, you know, they're also incorporating a lot of these, uh, uh, these kind of horn sets where that's not always the case. And that's, that's what it is. And then sometimes it's like, yeah, they do run this, uh, the kind of Princeton offense, which starts with Kerry Blackshear in the high post. But I mean, he's a, he is a distributor there, but he's not much of a scorer. And they haven't been able to uh, really kind of find sets where they post him up where uh, and, and space the floor from. They haven't really found areas where they can do that for long stretches. So uh, it was actually just like uh, tough for me. And I, and I feel like, you know, I'm someone who just like loves this team and, and follows it really closely. And, and it was, you know, tough for me to talk about the yeah. offensive identity. So uh, yeah, I just, uh, uh, I'm sure that also a lot of people viewing it are, are the same way. And uh, that is something that's tough between um, uh, between kind of the talent that's collected. I, I still feel like 
there's not a cohesive, uh, you know, kind of skill set. I mean, you even look at, uh, like, let's look at the point guards throughout Florida's time. I mean, uh, Chris Chioza is pretty different than, you know, Andrew Nemhard and Trey Mann's quite different from Andrew Nemhard and Chris Chioza. And those are all really different guys. And, you know, you look at last couple of years having like a Kayvon Allen and Jalen Hudson. Well, that's like super different than a Scotty Lewis. And obviously you now got Kerry Blackshear, which is unlike anything you've had. And uh, I feel like it's a team that like some of the guys would be a lot better served doing like kind of set-based stuff. And some of the guys would be better off really just, you know, playing the dribble drive offense that Mike White wants to do and, and playing in transition, but that doesn't work for the other half. And uh, right. yeah, it's been tough. Look, um, you know, it's funny, like there's so many people that are suggesting what the solutions are, but I think it seems to me like they don't necessarily trust the team to, for whatever reason, they don't want to run. They don't want to get too up tempo. Now people are going to get mad at me again. Uh, I don't think you have to play fast to be really good. In fact, look at Butler. Butler's a great example of somebody that plays slow. You just need to be efficient. And I think the problem with Florida is in five years under Mike White, they've basically been efficient on offense or very efficient on offense once, right? Uh, and that team did play a little faster. We should we should point that out. Um, although not at some sort of breakneck pace. Uh, Florida's last Final Four team was its most efficient efficient team this decade offensively. Uh, they were one of the slowest teams in the country. So again, you, you know, it's it's really just about efficiency. Um, but I think another thing is that that I would say, you know, you can be efficient if you're patient, but maybe. Another thing to consider might be like, are we doing what's best for our personnel? And that's where I wanted to ask you like, okay, we've seen them shoot well at times. We, right. We saw them shoot the ball really, really well in Charleston. Um, But outside of Charleston, they have not shot the ball. Well, in fact, they've shot the ball quite poorly. You know, is it time to consider, you know, deferring more to your kind of playmakers that, that are the guys that get in the paint and get twos. Is it time to, to put Kerry Blackshear deeper and make him kind of the sun around which your offense orbits uh, along with maybe Trey Mann and Keontae Johnson would be like the most, the most basic way to ask the question, Eric. Uh, I'm just going to start by just saying one thing about Butler that I found interesting leading up to the game. So they, they play slow. They don't look for a ton of shots in transition uh, but in transition, they shoot they or they are at 1.46 points per possession. Wow. So they are they are a incredible team in transition, and that like that's what I that's what I think that Florida needs to become is like. So Butler isn't a super fast team; they're one of the slowest paced teams in the country. But they know when to look for that first. Like they are always looking for. Like I think that they are always like seeing them play Florida. They are always looking for that first bucket, like early. And if it's not there, then they run their offense. But they are good enough that if like if that opportunity is there, they are getting it. So someone would look at them and be like, "Yeah, slow team. They don't play in transition." I would say uh, they play really, really well in transition. Uh, they just know when to choose. They they know when to you know they choose their spots, and I think it's very impressive. Uh, now going on to what you were saying, um, I, I do think that I think you just got to look at like what what the ceiling for this Florida team could be, and I think you just look at how do you maximize your talent. And, you know, this is something I wrote about before the last game. 
And it was that I didn't think that Trey Mann was getting u- utilized particularly well and that I don't think right. it's best for the team and I don't think it's best for him being a spot-up player. He just doesn't bring as much value there. Uh, where he brings value is someone with the ball in his hands. Then you see someone like Andrew Nemhart. He brings value with the ball in his hands. He's also shown value as a spot-up shooter. He's been an excellent catch-and-shoot guy. Uh, I think you've got to look at all these things and say, like, how do we get the absolute bet most out of our talent? Well, yep. we know we want Andrew Nemhart with the ball. He's our point guard. But at the same time, he offers value off the ball. Trey right. Mann does not offer as much value off the ball. You've got to weigh those things into how you play basketball. Like, uh, that's how really intelligent NBA teams think. I think it's exactly – and I know that they're dealing with a salary cap, so they've got to kind of figure out things that way about maximizing value. I really think the college basketball team should look at things the same way. And if if like, if like you said – if you looked at Trey Mann in recruiting and you said Trey Mann is a spot-up player, you would not look at him as a five-star. He'd be a low four-star. He's just not a great spot-up player. That's just not how he's wired. As a ball guard, someone with the rock, he is a five star. That's who Florida recruited. So I think you've got to use them that way. Yeah, so, and I uh, want to. I want to comment on the the salary cap constraint idea. Just yeah, to add, let me just add that, like, so you have a four year player in Quest Clutter, right? You don't have a four year player in Trey Mann. Like his skill set is too suited for the next level to assume that he's anything beyond a one or two year player. And then you have a grad transfer in Kerry Blackshear Jr who's gone in a year. So you have your constraints, right? And you should be evaluating minutes in that framework in my mind, right? And if that means that Quez Glover plays less minutes, even though he's played really well and it's quite clear that he can play at this level, uh, you know, I, I think so be it because your ultimate, you know, program health is important, but, Program health suffers when your team isn't as good as it can be. And so I think that that's something that, that kind of just adds to your point. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I've, I've kind of made it. No, I, I really think that they should try to get the ball in, in Trey man's hands a little bit more. And I really like, <laughs> they ran this horn set from a couple of times where he comes with this Iverson cut across the free throw line and then attacks off it. Thought it yeah. was a good way to use him. I, I would love yeah. to see him in the screen and roll game more. Um, yeah, he, he definitely does have to tighten up his defense a little bit to the point where, it, like, it's clear, like, that's what kind of got him off the floor, I, I think, because I think offensively definitely he's what still happened. bringing value. So, uh, but I just think, like, once again, if you say, how do, how do we get the most out of this team? Like, Trey Mann having the ball in his hands just simply has to be in that equation. I just, uh, may, maybe I'm wrong, I guess, but, but I, I look at Trey Mann, I look at the way the team is constructed. He needs to be a guy with the ball in his hands making plays. No, and I so, think you're right. And, and that's why I texted you during the game, just so, so the listeners know. I definitely texted Eric. At one point, Florida was defending poorly, um, I thought, for about a five-minute stretch in the second half. Where actually, they were running good offense, which we already discussed. But they couldn't close the league because they were defending bad. And that's when I texted Eric and said, look, if they're going to defend this bad with man off the floor, they might as well put hmm. man back in, right? Because that's another thing. Like, and I think that they've shown, if there's anything this staff has shown some improvement on this season, it's it's like timeout usage, which is definitely an understanding of game flow. But that was one where uh, there were two times yesterday, Eric, where I did not like rotations. That was the the second one because I thought they waited too long to reinsert man into the game when they needed buckets, and that's what they recruited him for. And then the first one was 
when he was out of the game. They took him out of the game because of defense in the first half, but their offense on the floor was essentially like their best scorer on the floor was Keontae Johnson. And they weren't running sets or actions to put Keontae Johnson in positions to get downhill and go to the basket. And that really bothered me. Yeah, I I agree. There were some tough rotations. This was something I, I, I wasn't sure if I was going to bring up, but I <laughs> got into it. And it's timeout usage, which is something that I care about much more than the average person. Uh, for, yeah, maybe some people are, are, are just tuning in for the first time here. Uh, I wrote in the offseason, I looked at every one of Florida's timeouts last year, and I uh, studied what the run was that led up to the timeout and, and what happened after. Uh, and it, it just the data showed quite significantly that – timeouts used during the like bulk of play to stop runs are just so much more valuable than an end of game timeout. And uh, so, you know, Florida loses comfortably last night. They got two timeouts. They left two timeouts that are, you know, useless. Um, The fact that, you know, that Butler ended the game or ended the first half uh, up by nine on a little bit of a run. The fact that Hinkle got really fired up on multiple occasions in the second half. They, yeah. got, they got caught in some really tough rotations, like you mentioned. I, I just really wish that Coach White would start to use his timeouts earlier. Um, I, I know that what he is doing is what a lot of the majority of coaches do in college basketball. Uh, some are starting to really wise up to the numbers that show that it's it's wiser to use your timeouts early to stop runs. And uh, this, I, this concept of saving two timeouts for the end of game uh, so that you can, you know, draw something up or whatever – uh, that is just shown to not be as valuable. Uh, and uh, yeah, I just, I see a game like that where Florida had a couple really tough couple minute stretches that lost them the game. And I see that Florida ended the game with two unused timeouts and it's just, uh, yeah, it, it's, it, it hurts me a little bit to be honest. So uh, that's something I would love to see, uh, see adapted. And yeah, if you're on a tough road environment like that, use your timeouts earlier. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's interesting. I, I didn't, get to uh i was kind of i was wondering what you were thinking about timeout usage yesterday like i thought one was really good um but yeah i was kind of like i wonder what eric thinks about timeout usage i definitely didn't like like i said obviously i didn't like a couple rotations um that they used and and i thought they they ended up being problematic some people have various suggestions and listeners uh kenny barco says the team has trouble scoring period they need to play more up-tempo and try to get easy, fast break points. They continue to play slow and let defenses set up shop. Uh, Butler plays slow, but they have much more movement, weak side screens, and late clock cuts. Eric? Uh, hey, really good point about cuts. That's it. That's like one measure. Like, uh, I look at how many – like, when I look at uh, – I look at, like, synergy profiles, and it's got uh, it's got teams like every play type and every – you know, the place that every shot comes from. It's got it broken down one mark of a good team is always a team that scores on cuts uh, teams that that have like a higher percentage of their shots off cuts. They like every, every team I've ever looked at for years, if you score a lot of points off cuts or, and a lot of your, like a percentage, a lot of your percentage of shots comes from cuts, uh, you're going to be a good offensive team. So that's a great, uh, yeah. Kind of great thing that, that he saw is that Butler is, does really well. Um, I, I do think it's getting to the point with Florida that if Florida's defense isn't awesome, which I, I really think Florida's defense is going to get there. I mean, White has had worse teams, I thought, defensively, like w- like teams with worse defensive potential that White has gotten to defend at a really high level. So I, I do think this team's going to come around defensively. But if it's at the point where you're not super confident in your defense and you're obviously not super confident in your offense, 
you've got to start cranking up the possessions. Like you've got to make it faster. And uh, yep. because right now in these low possession games, we, well, I mean, we saw it, we saw it very obviously against Butler, another team that loves to play slow. Uh, it's going to be that t- if you play slow, it's the team that's going to execute better offensively. That's, that's usually going to win. Uh, we saw that uh, if Florida t- doesn't kind of vastly improve, I, I do think they've got to really consider uh, just from a math analytical standpoint, like you've got to, you've got to add more possessions to these games and, and allow for some more variance. I think it's a way to get some more out of some talent too. Like, I just think, I think, look, I also think you can extend your bench, which I know, you know, and we've had debates about it on the podcast, not like with each other, but like kind of debates about what math and analytics say about bench usage. Um, but if you play faster, you're going to expand your bench. And yesterday Florida only had six players play more than 10 minutes. Um, you know, I think you could press some, try to create some offense that way. Uh, you, you've got the depth, you've got the bodies for once. Maybe, maybe it's something to do it, especially if you want to keep incorporating a guy like Quez Glover, who let's just face it, Eric, it's very evident that his minutes right now trade off of Trey Mann's minutes. And I'm, I like Quez. I think he's going to be a terrific four-year player. Uh, I'm not okay with giving him too many minutes that take away from Trey Mann's minutes. Yeah, I, I, I just think that I, I think that people have been higher on on Glover's offense than than I have been. Uh, like his his turnovers right. have been ru- have been rough turnovers. Uh, he hasn't actually generated a lot of shots for his teammates. Like uh, <coughs> I really do like that he was able to get some points in transition and had has some really nice buckets, kind of uh, getting to the hoop. Um, yeah, he can score. He's another, he's another guy that I would be really interested in playing him as a like, and I know he can shoot off the dribble, and that's a very valuable skill. Uh, something that I think is he's going to really showcase during his time at Florida, but I would be really interested in him being a little bit more of an off-ball guy, and let's see what he can be as a catch-and-shoot player. Right now, Florida's catch-and-shoot players haven't been good enough. Uh, Noah Locke, I thought he defended. I thought his best defensive game was against Butler. I thought, actually, he was one of the guys that defended well. I thought he played uh, well yesterday. And, uh, yeah, he, but he missed some some gi- I shouldn't say gimmies. <laughs> they they might be, they were they'd be gimmies for him last year, but he missed some wide open threes when Florida really needed it. He, and he just hasn't been a good enough catch and shoot guy. Nope. Uh, you know, in some of these other games when he hasn't hit shots, his defense hasn't been good enough, and he just hasn't brought value. I actually thought he defended really well. So yeah, so good for him. But and I um, liked what but, he said after the game, Eric. I thought, you know, his his kind of comments to the media, which I assume was just Chris Harry. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, uh, his comments about it's just got to be better, like I thought there was accountability there. And I want to get into that, but I I didn't want to cut you off. I just kind of want to interject that since we were talking about Locke. Oh, yeah. No, uh, you you can get into it. I just wanted to mention that Florida's catch-and-shoot players, their floor spacers, haven't been good enough. No person that we've seen, not or sorry, that we haven't seen in that role is Quetz Glover. When he's been on the floor, he's been playing point with a ball in his hands. With the ball in his hands, he's been turnover prone and he hasn't generated many shots for his teammates. He's growing. I'm not trying to trash. No, him. he's going to be. He's, he's going to be a good player. But, he's going to uh, be a, a four year guy. I, but I really think he's someone who you've got to look at playing an offensive role, not with the ball in his hands right now. And hey, maybe he can be a 36, 37, or upwards three point shooter. He was a great shooter in high school. So try him out. And like, if you get a lineup with him and Trey Mann on the floor, uh, which is you know, they are trading. I know they've been trading minutes a little bit. Uh, but even with, with Andrew Nemhart on the floor, tr- like get, get Andrew Nemhart or Trey Mann with the ball in their hands with Quez Glover as a, as a floor spacer. Let's, let's see what happens. It's something I'd like to see. 
but yeah, what what were you trying to say about uh, what do you want to get into with Noah? No, Locke? I mean, look, that was that was it. I just liked the way that I liked his response. I thought that was good. Um, you know, I do think that there needs to be some accountability um, among the players. I think that it, the easy thing to do a lot of times is to blame the staff, and I think the staff there are problems that the staff needs to fix, and I think operationally, uh, it's time to start calling this this offense what it is, which is to say that this staff has struggled to generate offense since they arrived at Florida. They, they have not produced. Now I would only say one of their teams was truly bad offensively, Eric. Uh, I know that there are people that will probably take a lot of issue with that, but we're comparing them to like Billy Donovan offenses. <laughs> um, but you know, only one of them I think was a really elite offense, top 25 efficiency, would be an offense I'd consider elite because that's going to put you in the top 6% of college basketball, which is kind of where you want to be on offense. Um, you know, operationally they've got to be better and they have the pieces to be better this year, which is what's, what's disappointing to me. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's tough. And I, I think that, uh, I know that it's, it's definitely tough when I think the Florida had a mindset of what they wanted to do offensively coming into the season and it hasn't worked, but I also feel like it was a little bit of uh, what came in the year prior. And uh, I I also just feel like, like, once again, I I do think Trey Mann hasn't been used totally the way I'd like to see him use. And I'm not really sure it was ever really game plan to use him as a primary ball handler, quite frankly, at any time he's been on the floor, it's, he's never really been put for, any period of extended period of time as as a score with the ball in his hand so uh, i just wonder from the kind of game planning standpoint where that went in and uh, i'm still pretty surprised i mean this is not not to go back to i guess i have to go back to it the florida state game where i didn't think carrie blackshear was utilized pretty very well and and, you know coach white was talking about missing duckins to to carrie blackshear right i was kind of like and that was the game plan to, to get Kerry Blackshear the ball was was Duckins off guys generating drives against this right. Florida State team. So, yeah, there's it's tough. But I, I, I will say, like like you said, I don't think Florida has been as bad offensively as people think, even going back to, hey, this Butler game where I know some people thought that it was just like the worst offensive game ever. And Florida had 0.95 points per possession, which is right honestly manageable for, for a lot of games. Right. Yeah. I mean, look, 6-26 uh, – you know, if you even shoot your season average, it's a little closer to a ball game. Um, then you factor in the fact that you shot what fourteen of twenty-one at the foul line, and at one point were two of nine. So you, they made their last twelve free throws, Eric. <laughs> 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 um, oh no, they they were two of eight. So they made they made that's right. Man missed one late, so they they made eleven of their last twelve free throws. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I guess there were moments where it was a little better. Michael Pusatera, longtime listener, um, you know, asked the hard question, and I think one that's worth discussing. I'd love to hear you and Eric's thoughts on the program now that we're 30% through the season. I'm obviously disappointed. Is Mike White a basketball version of Jim Harbaugh at Michigan, a good coach with typically good teams who can't seem to find the next level? Can I go first? Absolutely. Uh, I, I'm disappointed in – you know, like I said, um, this is one one of the only questions I really did any notes for for the pod. But I wanted to point out a couple things. One, I do think they're one and three against good teams, Eric. And you know, maybe Eric has a little different number in mind. 
but you know, <laughs> I, I I think they they've beaten one good team they played and lost to the other three, um, and then they're five and zero against teams that are anywhere from average Miami to bad the other teams, um, so you know that's disappointing because this is the type of team you expected to be three and one against good teams at this point or maybe even uh, four and zero, uh, so I I do think that's disappointed. I really like the Jim Harbaugh comparison because I think there is an element of Jim Harbaugh's program at Michigan that you can ex- at Michigan that you could expect to be excellent. Um, every team he's had has been a top ten defense. You know they've been terrific on that side of the football. Uh, they have struggled to score against good defenses. They have not beaten their rival. Um, and they haven't been able to get over the hump. Uh, I think that's a much more fair comparison than this Will Muschamp, Jim McElwain nonsense, which quite frankly is just nonsense because both McElwain and Muschamp had losing seasons where they embarrassed the program and lost seven and eight games, which hadn't happened at Florida in 40 years. Um, You know, White inherited a team with a losing record that lost its top two scorers and they won seven more games. White has won 20 games every season. At least he has been to the second round of the NCAA tournament for three consecutive years. At least Uh, only John Calipari has done that in the sec. He's the third winningest coach in the sec during his tenure behind only John Calipari and Rick Barnes and Barnes's edge on him is very small, by the way, that means he's won more games percentage wise than Bruce Pearl, by the way. Um, which all those things would probably apply to Harbaugh. So I think it's interesting because, yeah, I'm disappointed with where the program is. I think they've got to figure out an answer to the offensive malaise, Eric, and I hope that they can figure it out on the fly this season and they don't have to adjust. He also has an $8 million buyout, um, (laughs) which should hover over any conversation about Mike White's future. You know, I saw Neil Shulman at, in all kinds of weather said he wants him fired now. Like he doesn't want him to coach another basketball game at Florida. Yesterday was Neil's uh, take, and, and we all know Neil, you know, rolls the hot takes. But, but still, that that type of sentiment with that big a Twitter following is out there is important to note when we have those conversations because that means that there are people that watch and follow the program that think that. So I'm gonna I'm gonna let Eric answer that part of the question. And then we can kind of drive forward with, with some more information about this, this conversation. I, I mean, you look at Florida's uh, even like their NCAA tournament, like resume the last two seasons, a lot of it has been, well, they don't have any crippling losses, but they haven't had any big wins. So even when you were mentioned, I mean, obviously Florida's record right now against good teams this year is, is poor, but I would say that you look at even just the last couple of years and it's been, uh, they haven't ever been able to really get those those big, big wins, but they've kind of avoided those bad losses. So it's kind of been like a little bit vanilla. So I, I do look at the way that Florida has uh, has recruited well, and I think that is something that's really impressive. I mean, they, they I really like the class that they have. Well, yeah, I, I, I like some of the guys that are bringing in next year, and I, like, uh, I really like the transfers that are going to be active next year. Uh, I, I do think that you need to look – you know, a lot of kind of talk about like how Florida doesn't really have an identity. Um, I would say this, you know, you're a defensive team. Like that's kind of the, the culture that's, that's trying to be built, but you're not recruiting accordingly. 
So you look at the teams that are overwhelming defensively in, in college basketball, and that, that's, that is their program. Uh, they get really old. They are very athletic, and they're, they're physical, and they're tough. Uh, that hasn't been the way that Florida's recruited. They've, you know, like, I, I love Trey Mann, don't get me wrong, but if you're trying to build a, one of these defensive teams, you don't take a one- or two-year player that's a scoring guard that is just, like, really electric like that. Um, Andrew Nemhart's not a guy you recruit like that. Uh, you, Kerry Blackshears is not a guy you take. Like, if, if you want, like, if Florida is going Scotty to Lewis is. Scotty, Scotty Lewis, Lewis is. is, absolutely. Right. Uh, but, I mean, yeah, like, if you're, if you're trying to be a – uh, it, it, like if you really are going to be one of the, the college basketball teams that is consistently going to sweet 16s or, or higher, like just a consistently really, really good program, uh, you are getting old, you're recruiting big and you're recruiting toughness and length over skill. Uh, well, Florida, you know, has, hasn't really recruited that way. So, and I look at the guys coming in next year. I mean, I, I love Tyree. <coughs> I am the, I am the resident uh, Tyree Appleby um, expert, as people know from me watching every minute he played last year at Cleveland state, big fan. But he's not a guy you bring in if you just want this to be a de- defensive, grinded out team. You just so that that's one thing about Florida. Neil Slade is. is. Neil Slade. <laughs> so I so I do just wonder, like, hey, if Florida, <laughs> like I know, and I know some people are going to say, like, oh no, I I don't want basketball played that way. But it's kind of like Florida's in that kind of in between spot. Like I, I think that there's a whole lot of other coaches that would see Florida's talent, and if they could take it, they would be playing an entirely different style of basketball. So. Uh, I, I, I would say that's kind of my, my take on the program is I, I really love the way White's recruiting, but uh, he's recruited a, a certain kind of player that is, is probably gears itself more to a, a, a more freer offensive style, and it's not really fitting his coaching style. So that's something that kind of has to be figured out. Uh, it's really interesting. And, and I think, look, um, you know, the cultural blueprint for be really elite on defense and recruit that way isn't just Virginia. Like Texas Tech, Chris Beard, that's what they're doing. You know, that's 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 who they are. I don't know if that will be Jawan Howard, but that certainly was John Beeline at Michigan, right? Um, so I think, you know, that certainly is Kelvin Sampson's philosophy at Houston, although they recruit a different type of player just because it's Houston, and so they're not really – quite at the level that they can access the type of players that Florida has. Um, that's always been the path to victory at Wisconsin. Um, so I think they've got to do something offensively. I think that that improves the program from that standpoint, operationally to that end. Uh, and I, you know, shame on me for being only a, a kind of novice podcaster and doing this to us, Eric. I should have gotten to this much earlier. But I did have some conversations both last night um, and in Charleston with with some high-level uh, boosters, people pretty well connected to the program, people I trust, people that were right about Kerry Blackshear, people that were right about Scotty Lewis sticking with Florida. You know, and, and you know when Eric and I have broken things or, or not, I don't know if this is even breaking anything, but when Eric and I have have shared news, whether it's Eric sharing it on Gator Country or me sharing it at Florida Basketball Hour, and I'm lumping you in with me, Eric, because I think you would agree with what I'm saying. Like, we don't speculate about things. We, we just That's just not how we operate uh, journalistically. So what I'll tell you is is I trust – the conversations I had and it's multiple sources. Um, but I was told 
that the $8 million buyout is prohibitive barring a, a massive collapse. Um, so, you know, if Florida goes to the NCAA tournament, loses the first round, people are going to be furious, but Mike White's not going to get fired for that. Um, I think it would take basically missing the tournament and playing very poorly, maybe even missing the NIT uh, for them to be a, uh, for there to be a change. So there's not going to be a change, almost certainly. I'm sure a lot of people are going to hit the stop button now and scream. That's fine. You know, obviously, because people are mad, Eric. Uh, what I can also tell you is that we know uh, from these conversations that, you know, Scott Strickland was in Charleston, uh, even though he had college playoff committee duties at the bookend of the weekend. You know, he is – there, this narrative or idea that Scott Strickland extended Mike White unaware of the issues that the program had had is a ridiculous – I was told by this particular booster who's a basketball-only big money booster that that's ridiculous, that Scott Strickland's well aware of it, and that they will insist on structural changes if things do go badly. So if this team – and I think badly would be first weekend – for this team. I think people would consider that not to be a good season with this group of talent. Um, so I do think it could be a situation where like Billy Donovan in 2003, uh, sorry, 2004, uh, you know, Florida was struggling defensively, couldn't get stops, uh, repeatedly eliminated because they weren't physical enough and, and weren't capable of getting stops consistently in the half court, despite running good offense. They brought in Larry Shiat, an older, more veteran presence on the bench to be the program's defensive coordinator, and uh, the rest is history. It's not just the 04s um, that built those banners. Um, you know, Larry Shiat had a lot to do with it. I have been told that you know, there's a very high likelihood that that happens and that you know, However that ends up happening, I don't, I'm not going to speculate as to what staff member would leave or this or that or the other, but th there is an offensive coordinator type situation that that is expected to occur. And and it may very well occur even if this team maxes out and gets to the Elite Eight or the Final Four. Because I think, uh, I think it's time to just say that it's clear that they might need some outside help. So that's kind of the insider heat. Uh, that gets back to that Pusatera question. Your thoughts on that, Eric? Well, I appreciate you sharing it and uh, appreciate the booster sharing that with you. That's interesting. And uh, I, I just think um, you look at Florida and you look at Mike White and I mean, he's <coughs> shown he can be a elite defensive coach. He's shown that he can recruit at a really high level. Uh, the one kind of hole is on offense. So I think it makes sense to say like, Hey, how can we get better uh, coaching from that, from that area? And um, yeah, it's really tough to comment on, like assistant coaches for people who aren't at practice. It's, it's really tough to quantify. Yep. Uh, what I do know is that like, there's a lot of mid-major teams that want Jordan Pincy. There's a lot of mid-major teams that want Darius Nichols. And uh, there's probably, you know, there's, there's a few interviews that Pinkins did this last year. So he could have been gone too. So um, I, I don't even know if it's going to be a scenario where a, a change has to go. That's that goes with some friction. I, I think one of those guys might be, uh, might be headed off to a, I mean, this has been multiple summers in a row where there's been some pretty good mid-major jobs to approach Florida's assistance. And uh, if a spot opens, I, I do hope that Florida is ready to to get someone in the kind of offensive coordinator role. Uh, and But yeah, that's what I would say. I think Mike White's been excellent defensively. I think he's recruited super well. And uh, obviously his assistants have really helped with the recruiting. 
but uh, the the offense has been the whole. So that's I, I really think as an institution, you got to just say like, hey, how can we get better in that area? Yep, I would agree with that. Justin Fortner is going to close our show today um, with his excellent, uh, I thought an excellent pair of questions. His first is, uh, Mike White has a lack of a veteran coach. Why has he not addressed it? I, I'll answer that real quick. I think they have. I think I think Al Pinkins was not only like the big man coach, but sort of the veteran presence that everyone in the country respects. Uh, so, yeah, I kind of think they have that voice on the bench right now. Uh, to be quite honest, Eric, do you, in any disagreement there? Uh, no, I, I don't. I, I think that I, I to be a little hot take, I guess. I think the I think the notion of of needing more ex, like experience is is a little overrated. I mean, this isn't yeah. like this isn't like Coach White coming over from being an NBA player to being a head coach. I mean, he's got a decent amount of seasons under his belt, and you know, and I know that Louisiana Tech, like Louisiana Tech, is a a program that plays in a good league. So he's had, so White's had a lot of games under some, some pretty good scenarios and uh, players that play, or sorry, assistant coaches that were players at high levels as well. So um, I, I don't think that experience is, is a, is an issue right now. I would, I would say. No, so that I, would be my, I, yeah. Yeah. And I appreciate that question because I think, I do think that there might be value in, in an offensive coordinator. I don't know if any of these particular assistants are like that that's their necessary strength. I know it was supposed to be Armand Gates' strength, but obviously they didn't feel like that was necessarily a fit. Um, and it turned out there were good reasons for that uh, based on, on what I know. Um, and I'm glad that Al Pinkins is in Florida. The second question I thought was, was particularly good. Uh, why is Mike White still trying to force the motion offense? And this is kind of in Eric's wheelhouse. <laughs> In my opinion, this team all starts and ends with Andrew Nimhard. It's obvious that offense is not his strength. Eric? I, I think that kind of every team needs to have some form of motion offense that you go into when, when things break down. I mean, even if you are looking to be a set-based team, uh, if uh, you know, the, some you know, defenses play it really well and they deny a pass or they explode through a screen, uh, right. it's, you, it's, it's tough to just say like, Hey, let's run it back, get to your spots, run it again. You kind of need to have like kind of a base. Uh, and that's, uh, so having a motion offense is, is something you do kind of just like need to have. Um, I, I just, uh, I think it's also, it is something that coach white has coached for a lot of years. And, uh, judging by the history of basketball, I, I, I will be honest. I didn't watch Mike white at Ole Miss. Uh, but knowing that era of basketball in a whole, that's the way basketball was played. You dribble, drive, you pass, and you cut. And you tried to cut hard. And if you cut harder than the guy who was guarding you, uh, maybe you get a pass and a layup. And that was the way basketball was played in a lot of times there. So it's obviously something that he's he's comfortable with. So uh, I, I will say, I, I really don't think that he's force-fed it. I, I, I mean, I think we've seen him, you know, he's really tried to institute some sets here. I don't think he's found a lot of sets that, that really super work, like super, super well. And it's also really tough when you're playing just sets that, uh, even even if you're going to run a lot of sets, you kind of want like a base formation that guys started, and then you can kind of make variations off that with your sets. So uh, I, I wouldn't say that I think Mike White has really forced it down, uh, but uh, yeah, I would say it's just something he's simply most comfortable with, and it might be something that his assistant coaches are most comfortable with. And uh, figuring out what uh, what you like more than that can be a can be a, can be a process. Yeah, and I would I would add this because uh, I think that's a great answer. Let me add two points. One, they ran more sets than they'd ever run at Florida last year um, out of necessity. 
I think. Um, and it did actually really help the offense late in the season. I think one of Eric and I's frustrations is that they've abandoned a lot of those effective sets this season in favor of more motion. Uh, but that said, uh, the second thing is if you really want something, people that really want something super set reliant, uh, they want half court offense. And that's, there's a little bit of a tension there between that and like the constant suggestion that Florida, Florida play faster. Right, Eric. Right. <laughs> like, yes. Eric and Eric has alluded to some of the things you can run some offense and transition. Billy Donovan was great at it. Uh, what, who did you mention? North Carolina, Gonzaga, like teams mm-hmm. that, that, that run a lot of early set offense and transition, but like, if y'all want Scotty Lewis to attack the rim, which is like something I get tweeted at five, 10 times a game, <laughs> then that's going to come playing faster in a motion offense where they're just spacing the floor. Yeah. I, I do think still you can do some of that. Like one, one of my favorite buckets of last night, which was like, or yesterday, which was even a little shady. Cause uh, luckily his heels were on the, uh, the charge circle, but was that, <coughs> that pin down curl for Keontae Johnson. They got him. Uh, attacking downhill i thought that was a great way to like yeah. use your athletes in the half yeah. court um, agree but just one thing that like i i will say this teams that play fast and teams with athletic guys that that play fast in the half court it is a very dribble handoff reliant offense and that's something that florida doesn't really do florida does not do a lot of dribble handoffs and uh so it's actually interesting one of the one of florida's baseline out of bounds plays is like this quick dribble handoff into a ball screen and i i think it's really effective and i've always wondered like hey if they they clearly see that it's effective off this baseline out of bounds play why don't they try to run more dribble handoff into ball screen in the half court because i haven't really seen it it's only off that baseline out of bounds play so uh, I, I, that's something I also talked about when, like, I, I love Virginia Tech's offense last year. Like when I was watching hours upon hours of Kerry Blackshear tape this summer, uh, one thing that was just incredible was him working in the high post and having, uh, having those two guards, Kay Alexander Walker and, and Justin Robinson running off and doing, uh, doing dribble handoffs and stuff out of that. It just becomes hard to guard with, with quick players. And uh, it's something that you see in the NBA all the time. It's a very dribble, dribble handoff reliance. And it's uh, something Florida doesn't do a lot of. So uh, it's, it's, you know, so anyways, that pin, what, what, I guess the, the initial point, I really <laughs> like that, that pin down curl screen for, for Keontae Johnson. I feel like they're starting to get some of those sets that gets their athletes going downhill. And uh, it's something you just got to hope that they continue to figure out through, through film and, and through some, uh, through watching some other teams and seeing what they run. That's good. Yeah, no, yeah, uh, they got what final exams. So probably. Uh, they said they practiced today, um, so we'll see. I don't know what how final exams necessarily affect practices. I'm not up on all that stuff. If anybody knows, feel free to drop me a DM and and educate me. Um, <laughs> uh, but but they'll go to Brooklyn and play uh, Providence December 17th. So nine days between games. Providence really struggling, um, much worse than Florida. Uh, they have some tough losses. They actually lost a team Florida will play, I think, Long Beach State. Yes. Uh, and in a game that was really interesting because, like, well, I don't want to get into it. We're not going to preview Long Beach State yet. But <laughs> the way Florida has played this year, like, Florida better be ready to play every single game it has the rest of this month <laughs> so that they don't end up 6-6 six and six 
headed into conference play. Let's just leave it at that. Any final thoughts, Eric? I uh, no, I appreciate the, uh, the questions from, uh, from people that sent them in. That's always great. And, uh, yeah, hopefully we did a good job of, uh, breaking down some of what we saw and some of the, uh, some of the things on the, the larger program level. Yeah. And I, I want to, I, I do, I kind of want to get back to, uh, let me close with, I get that everybody's pretty frustrated. I'm frustrated too. Um, you know, I don't think th- this level of offense is not sustainable at this program forever. Uh, and I would add that, um, but I also want to say, like, stop making the Muschamp McElwain comparisons. It's silly. It makes you look intellectually dishonest. Um, and then also understand that you have to kind of be careful what you wish for. And I'm not saying, like, like say Neil Shulman got his wish and Mike White was fired in, like, five minutes. Like, first of all, I don't know how that would work out for the rest of the season with, with the players. But – Beyond that, you know, hot take, after he was gone, Eric, you would then be saying whatever we bring in is going to be better than a program that has played elite defense for five seasons and just sort of struggles on the offensive end and as a result hasn't been able to get out of the round of 32 for a couple years. That's kind of where we are right now. Yeah, I think again, you just see the way that uh, that Florida's got another. Yeah, I mean, I I, I do think that um, it's looking like Mike White's ceiling isn't as high as some people think, and uh, we'll we'll see what happens. We'll see. Uh, yeah, that's see how the bigger, things keep going. But that's uh, the bigger question. Yeah, and I think that's some people. I, I do think that some people see, hey, well, White hasn't shown to this point that his ceiling is a national championship, and therefore I'm not interested in him. Uh, th- that's a that's an interesting way of evaluating coaching. I I, I, I wouldn't be the same way. I, I think I do really appreciate that there's been a floor. Uh, like so many things went wrong last year, and uh, and yeah, that he kind of found a way to at least get them into uh, the, the second round. And I see that uh, he obviously had a really good recruiting class this year, and I, I really think that next year's recruiting class added in with two uh, two transfers that I think are going to be fantastic. Uh, I, I I think that you know even if a ton of guys bolt for whatever reason after this year, Florida is still going to be, you know, their ceiling is, or sorry, their floor is still going to be high next year with their recruiting class and with the two transfers. So uh, I, and I, I honestly just think that there is value to being kind of consistently good. And I think that if Florida keeps putting together these recruiting classes, uh, also like Mike White is, is young. I think he's learning. And I think that he keeps recruiting like this and he uh, keeps improving as a coach, which I, I do think he will. I, I also think that that's something about, I know some people would say like, Hey, Florida is not a place for coaches to get better. This is a place where great coaches should come and be great. Well, you know, we, they've got, we've got Mike white and I, I think he's been good and I think he is getting better. And I think that uh, there's a chance he turns into one of those great coaches. So uh, yeah, I, I would just look at the floor and say like, Hey, there's a value, there's value in the flat fact that Florida is still just bringing in really good talent and they haven't shown that they're ever going to really bottom out. So um, there, there's got to be some value to that, at least in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, with an $8.5 million buyout, I think there's quite a bit of value to it. I'm quite honest. Um, so, you know, I, I think they'd have to collapse to, for it to be otherwise based on what I've been, what I've been told, and I don't think that's going to change. I, I, you know, I, I think it's one of these things where, you know, they do have improvements to do as a staff. And I think Eric makes a great point, like, 
maybe Florida isn't a program where where you learn on the job, right? Um, but that's the hire they made. So now, you know, that's the question. And you have to understand that if you made a change, you'd be you would you would have to be okay with surrendering an elite defense for five years. And you figure out you have to hope that your guy comes in and, and they defend because maybe he comes in and fixes the offense and then they can't defend anybody. Right? Yeah. So there's always uh <laughs> there's always that kind of risk um on both ends. And I know it's harder now, especially because you're seeing you're seeing where Louisville is with Chris Mack, right? You're seeing for the first time, really, you're seeing some improvement in Indiana. Uh you know, guys that that were available when the white hire was made. And that probably compounds it a little bit for some of the diehards that have switched to the other side. Although I would note that a lot of the real diehard basketball people are still pretty firmly in the white camp. Um, So that's, you know, maybe also worth discussing a little bit. Anywho um, it's, it's a good conversation to have. And I, I don't think anybody's happy with what happened uh, yesterday. So Got to be better than that. Um, got to got to be better than that. And and maybe it will be starting in uh in Brooklyn. We will do a show, a uh, brief show to preview that game. I'll try to get Eric on so we can talk some Providence, and uh, we'll be back after Providence as well. So thanks everybody, and and um, you know, have a good week.